This is Speaking Freely from the ACLU of Pennsylvania, the podcast that tells the story of civil liberties. I'm your host, Andy Hoover, Director of Communications at the ACLU of PA. The movement for ending cannabis prohibition has come a long way, and our guest for this episode has been at the fore of that movement in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Chris Goldstein is an activist with Normal, the nation's leading marijuana reform group. He writes the Philly 420 column at philly.com, and he's an adjunct professor at Temple University, where he teaches a class on marijuana and the media. Chris's advocacy played an integral role in the passage of Philadelphia's decriminalization ordinance in 2014, and that ordinance set the stage for other cities to follow suit, including Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Erie, State College, and York. Chris and I have known each other for nearly a decade and have been through many legislative and policy debates together. In this discussion, we talk about the state of the movement, the politics of marijuana, and both the symbolism and the flaws of Pennsylvania's medical marijuana law. This interview was recorded on March 13th. In the discussion, Chris references the Commonwealth's gubernatorial race. Since then, State Senator Scott Wagner won the Republican nomination for governor, and he will now face incumbent Democratic Governor Tom Wolf in November's election. Also, in the time since Chris and I talked, Allentown became the seventh city in Pennsylvania to approve an ordinance to lower penalties for marijuana possession. The city council passed the bill on May 8th, and Mayor Ray O'Connell signed it on May 25th. That ordinance creates a locally enforced fine of $25 for a first-time marijuana possession violation. It also sets up a showdown with Lehigh County District Attorney James Martin, who says he will order Allentown police to not enforce the ordinance. Apparently, D.A. Martin has forgotten that the Allentown PD works for the city, not for him. Also this month, a committee of Bethlehem City Council passed a local decriminalization ordinance. A vote by the full council on that proposal is expected soon. This is what progress looks like, and here's my discussion with Chris Goldstein. Chris, let's first talk about the state of the movement to reform cannabis laws. Let's look globally, and then we'll drill down as the conversation goes on. Um, it looks like there's progress, right? There, Vermont recently had a what is effectively broad decriminalization. California now has legalization with retail. Here locally in Philadelphia, the DA has said he's not going to prosecute any criminal cases for possession. Are we making progress? Is that is that the state of things, at least in the big picture? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Progress is being made politically. And also, you know, politicians are now seeing the return of what they always wanted, which is the money. So now we're seeing the big tax dollar revenue uh, come in, especially from Nevada, which is a, an interesting telltale. You know, when we talk about legalizing uh, marijuana, some of the places that we really haven't explored is how it intersects with uh, big industries like gaming and hotels. So how this plays out in Las Vegas is going to be pretty interesting in the future. Right now, Las Vegas has really embraced cannabis, but we haven't seen any, say, smoking lounges and casinos, and we really haven't seen uh, the Gaming Commission um, try and explore the revenue that could be brought in. So as we look at the, at the progress of legalization in Oregon, Washington, Alaska, um, Alaska is going to have social use. I think Alaska will probably be the first state to open regulated smoking lounges. Oh, wow. So Colorado recently um, allowed, uh, Denver is a, a specifically allowed marijuana social use establishments. But Andy, it's kind of funny. 
right now, if you fly to Denver, I, I mean, it's been four years of legalization out there. And if you're a tourist, there's nowhere that you can smoke a joint. Um, every hotel in Denver now has a very specific little placard with a marijuana leaf and a cross through it next to the uh, cigarette with the cross through it, uh, reminding you that if you smoke in your room, uh, if you smoke cannabis in your room, uh, you could end up with a $250 uh, cleaning fee. So if you're a tourist, you can't smoke outside. Uh, technically, smoking in public is also illegal. And so if you're a tourist in Denver, where do you smoke that joint that you just went out and bought? Um, no state's really dealt with this yet. Alaska, it was probably, again, going to be the first state to allow smoking. Denver's social use establishments only allow vaping and edibles. So, um, you know, I mean, Andy, basically, I could bake a pan of uh, infused brownies like in the middle of a McDonald's here in Philadelphia today and nobody would probably care. So I don't know really, um, you know, if a social use establishment that just lets you eat a brownie or, or something like that is really what we're going for. So progress for sure. Um, I mean, progress on the retail sales side, progress on the political side. But for cannabis consumers, even in legal states, they're still running into a lot of issues. Um, we haven't dealt with workplace accommodations. We haven't eliminated pre-employment drug screening. Um, we haven't allowed social use. We haven't even dealt with being able to smoke a blunt in your backyard in some cases. So we have to really look at uh, what consumer rights mean as we move forward uh, with legalization. You've said several things I really want to get into uh, later in the conversation, particularly the, the reference to Nevada. And I've talked uh, publicly with the media about the fact that um, when New Jersey and Delaware legalize Pennsylvania, the pressure is going to be on Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania dollars will start going elsewhere. And I've compared oh, it to yeah. gambling, actually, because, you know, Pennsylvania took a while to come around on gambling and eventually realized, okay, this is something that could be a revenue generator. You also mentioned Philadelphia. I want to come back to that. But before we get to either of those uh, things, um, I want to talk about New Jersey. Mm. So this podcast is produced by the ACLU of Pennsylvania, but obviously we pay attention to what's happening in our neighboring states. And you advocate in both New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Governor Murphy wanted to do legalization in the first 100 days. That's not going to happen. Um, whether or not it's in the first year is still maybe in question. So yeah. from your from your seat, what do you see? What's happening in New Jersey? Well, it's it's been kind of a, a, a quagmire at this point as far as the politics go in New Jersey. What we've seen is an industry-forward approach where we've seen a bunch of New Jersey sort of uh, cannabis industry associations form up. Um, we've got legislators like the Assembly um, uh, Majority Whip. His name is Raj Mukherjee, Assemblyman from up in the Jersey City area. He is actually a lawyer for dispensaries in Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, and New York. So he's kind of like a major player in the in the local medical cannabis industry. So the industry-forward approach really is uh, has bogged down. Um, legislators are concerned about what the marijuana industry is going to look at, like in the future. Voters and New Jersey residents are pretty concerned that it's just going to be a bunch of rich white people who end up getting the licenses that that communities of color won't get the reinvestment. Now, they're selling this as social justice. Now, uh, Governor Murphy is is strong behind the social justice aspects of legalization. But Andy, We've got 26,000 marijuana arrests happening in New Jersey still. They never decriminalized cannabis. There isn't a single town that's decriminalized. The state has not decriminalized. And when Governor Murphy got into office, the police departments didn't stop arresting people for weed. So 
this is an arrest every 22 minutes. I mean, it's 68 a day. It's 58% of all drug possession arrests are just marijuana in New Jersey. This is major. I pulled the data on Camden last year, and it showed that in, in the city of Camden, New Jersey, um, marijuana possession was the most arrested drug. So, you know, again, um, we're having this debate over whether to legalize and tax marijuana. It seems like we're very much on the road to that uh, within the next year. But, you know, we're juxtaposed that by the fact that uh, 68 people every day are being put into handcuffs for this and prosecuted. So on one hand, we have legislators saying they want to legalize, they want to stop, uh, they want to expunge all these records, but we're creating 68 new records every day. Um, I hope that we're going to see some relief in this regard. Uh, I do think that the New Jersey Attorney General and that county and municipal prosecutors saw what happened here in Philly with Larry Krasner. Uh, declaring that he will stop charging these cases. And again, Larry Krasner wasn't the only district attorney in the country to have ever done this. Uh, in 2014, it was Brooklyn's Kenneth Thompson who did it for 4,000 cases a year. Uh, last year, uh, Kim Ogg, the district attorney in Houston, Texas, uh, Harris County, Texas, also announced the same kind of a procedure. So while uh, Larry Krasner is a very progressive guy, um, this is something that district attorneys have been doing as a solution um, while state legislatures have been flailing around uh, finding a, a real solution to this with legalization. So New Jersey uh, ain't going to happen in 100 days. Um, I think we can get back on track for within this year. And here's how. I think that you mentioned Vermont early on. And that concept of legalizing possession, legalizing home cultivation— and starting the record expungement. That's what Vermont did. It ended prohibition, but it didn't start a retail market. That's what Vermont has done. And I want everybody to understand this wasn't sort of a haphazard move. Vermont looked at this for six years. They spent $3 million having the Rand Corporation uh, do a commission study on this. And they came back at this again and again. And this is the solution they came up with, and I think it's the right one. In states like Massachusetts, California, Alaska, these states that passed with the ballot initiative, they legalized possession and home cultivation for voters right away. But the legislature had 24 months to come up with a retail scheme. So we have to start thinking about the legislative solution that matches that. And that might mean two bills instead of one. One bill like the Pennsylvania and New Jersey Cannabis Justice Act that does what Vermont did, legalizes possession, home cultivation, starts record expungement. But let's do what Vermont didn't do and pledge to pass a second bill a diverse cannabis industry bill. So that might be a way to get back on track. Otherwise, the politics are getting deep. Uh, there's a couple of legislators who want to decriminalize instead of legalize. Now you've got the legalizers against decriminalization. Obviously, they've never been to Philly for a day. Um, so I, I think the politics are, are getting pretty spun around, and we need to get back to basics here, which is stop arresting cannabis consumers, start alleviating records, and start creating that diverse cannabis industry we really all want. Well, what you're describing in New Jersey plays well into a discussion about Philadelphia because the decriminalization of Philadelphia obviously led to a massive reduction in arrests, although there were still some people being arrested criminally after the ordinance went into effect. Um, but huge uh, savings uh, in court costs and police time. Um, obviously, people don't get this on their record uh, when they get a civil ticket instead of a criminal charge. Um, 
that's the in our mind that's the here at the aclu that's the um the civil rights side of it uh, i know you've spoken quite glowingly about the cannabis culture in philadelphia um and, and i think your take goes even well beyond not just the fact that it's people not getting arrested but there's more to it why do you have such a positive view of what's happening in philadelphia well, i think tolerance is a big step um you know the fact that the consumers of philadelphia are aware of this tolerance it creates an atmosphere of tolerance and and of mutual respect in a lot of ways. So we're in Philadelphia, kind of where Washington, D.C. was almost in 2014. Um, voters in Washington, D.C., 71 percent of them uh, voted uh, to legalize marijuana, but they aren't allowed to have a retail system. So in Washington, D.C. today, it's legal to possess, it's legal to cultivate, and importantly, it's important to gift. You can gift cannabis in Washington, D.C., which is very cool. And what's happened out of that is that a cottage economy has sprung up and a lot of small business has is happening in Washington, D.C., even though there isn't a retail system set up. And again, that harkens back to where California and Colorado were right before they actually started their serious legalization movement. They had a gray underground market, one that was just underground, one that was really where everybody could see. And again, I think that's important here. Now, the next step for Philadelphia, and again, the social justice aspect has been on possession arrest because they're the vast majority. But here in Philly, we've seen particular issues with civil asset forfeiture, which I also think that Larry Krasner is not a big fan of, which is good news. Nor is the ACLU. Nor is the ACLU. (laughs) Um, But a lot of those cases in Philly's DA's office were generated by the narcotics department going after people for selling small amounts of marijuana, Mm -hmm. selling less than an ounce, passing a couple of joints in some cases. And those arrests that were still happening that Larry Krasner is alleviating, they were mostly coming from the narcotics department here. So... There's, uh, you know, although we experience an attitude and an atmosphere of tolerance, there's a lot we can still do. Now, uh, Mayor Kenny supports legalization. I think city council is probably going to work on accommodations for medical marijuana patients now that the Pennsylvania program is somewhat running. Um, So there's more Philadelphia can do. And I also think our amazing tech community and our millennial community and the fact that there's so much investment. You mentioned Delaware and New Jersey. Andy, when Delaware and New Jersey legalize marijuana, what will Philadelphia do in the middle of all this? You mentioned them counting the coin. Yeah, New Jersey is already betting that 10% of their annual marijuana taxes are going to come from Pennsylvania residents. And that's not because it's going to be legal here and they're choosing a better marijuana in New Jersey. It's because they won't be able to buy it in Pennsylvania at all. So, or take the train to Wilmington. Delaware's legislators are counting on it too. So, yeah, that's a big question. Will Philadelphia, in the need of of school funding, will Pennsylvania, in the need of a budget uh, uh, gap right now, watch all of that money walk over the border into other states here in the next couple of years? Boy, I I don't think it's going to last too much longer. Well, and to that point, let's let's go west uh, to Harrisburg in the state legislature. What are the bills that folks should be aware of right now at the General Assembly? Well, the good news is this year is, uh, believe it or not, uh, we've got a Republican effort to downgrade marijuana possession across the state. I think this is largely in response to all the municipal ordinances that are coming up and passing. I mean, we saw York 
Erie, uh, just this year, Erie, Pennsylvania made a, a Philadelphia-style ordinance with $25 tickets in the city of Erie for marijuana possession. So this is happening now. I mean, I've been telling legislators, hey, look, I mean, we'll go town to town. We've already gotten the biggest cities to do it. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg. Um, you know, we're going to move through. Uh, we've got State College. We've got York. We've got Erie. We'll get Allentown and Bethlehem. We'll move into uh, different sections of the state. But what we want is a statewide solution. Um, HB 928 is Barry Joswiak's bill. Um, Representative Joswiak, a 70-year-old retired uh, state trooper from Berks County, uh, he worked on this bill at the behest of John T. Adams, the Republican head of the Pennsylvania District Attorneys Association. Now, when they first started this bill, Andy, you and I had to go out and have a press conference and knock it down. That's because it was originally called the Innovative Funding for the Criminal Justice System Act, and it would triple the fines on everybody who got arrested for weed. Right. Now, thankfully, again, Adams and Joswiak have seen the light on this, and they do want to alleviate records. They do want to downgrade the offenses, and they don't want to charge people with a misdemeanor anymore. So the bill would turn every marijuana possession offense into a summary instead of a misdemeanor. Cops really wouldn't be putting handcuffs on people anymore for it at that point. Uh, the immediate downgrade would come with an instant fine, so you wouldn't have to go to the prosecutor and get charged any longer. It would be an expedited uh, thing. And then uh, eventually be able to get the record expunged as well. Um, but summaries are easy to expunge in Pennsylvania. It's a first step. It's better than the current policy, but it's not statewide decriminalization. Let's let's not make any uh, confusion here. But what's really coming is from going to be from Jordan Harris, uh, the leader of the, the Black Caucus. Um, we hope to see a Pennsylvania Cannabis Justice Act, a Diverse Cannabis Industry Act coming out of uh, Jordan Harris's office this year. And I expect, as we just mentioned, that the legalization discussion is going to become much more serious in Harrisburg as they start to see Pennsylvanians spend their money elsewhere. Well, certainly there is legislation for folks to track at the General Assembly. You've mentioned some of the bills, but you and I have been lobbying the General Assembly for a long time. Uh, you know, I lobbied it on behalf of the ACLU for nine years. I've known you pretty much that entire time. Uh, and we know what it's like up there. Yeah. So what's the strategy or even is there a strategy yet? Is there do we have a sense of the path that it's going to take to bring those bills to fruition to make them happen? Well, huge good news in, in Pennsylvania this year is that um, between the gerrymandering and the redistricting and the fact that a lot of these uh, guys are timing out of the legislature now, um, that's pretty awesome. Matt Baker is, is retiring. He was one of our staunchest uh, prohibitionists against medical marijuana. Um, Mike Terzai ran for governor, sort of lost a lot of his clout in the process of it. Um, Scott Wagner is, is blowing himself out in the governor's race as well. A lot of these people who oppose marijuana, a lot of what we would consider our opposition won't be there anymore. And there are going to be a lot of seats turning over. And a lot of the new breed of Republicans are not anti-marijuana. A lot of these new breed of Republicans, um, both the, uh, the uh, uh, traditional Republicans of Pennsylvania, the sort of uh, folks who are, are trying to rebuild the party base, and these new guys who are with the um, 
the nuclear White House option um, uh, that are going out there. A lot of these folks actually support cannabis reform, and they've been on record supporting uh, cannabis reform and medical marijuana. I will say all three gubernatorial candidates on the GOP side, they're against legalization. So we saw Terzai and uh, Wagner all against legalization. I'm sorry, the other candidate is slipping my mind. Mangos uh, also against legalization. So, um, you know, that has been pretty interesting. Whereas uh, Tom Wolf, and let's make a real note here, uh, Tom Wolf uh, has not supported full legalization of marijuana yet. His position on legal marijuana is a firm wait and see which is what prohibitionists used to tell us in 1970 from the Santa Monica Police Department PSAs called Keep Off the Grass. What is confusing is, is uh, right now is Governor Wolf's position. I think that Democrats across Pennsylvania would be much, uh, would be championing legalization. And I think they're held back by, by Governor Wolf right now. Nobody wants to get ahead of the governor uh, is something I hear in the hallways a lot. So uh, Governor Wolf has been a great champion of the medical marijuana program, and I think that's been a mistake for him in some ways. Um, these places have come out to be very expensive. Um, their businesses that run them are uh, not very savory based on the price structure we've seen out there in the dispensaries so far. And instead of looking to the future, like Governor Murphy is in New Jersey and even Governor Cuomo in New York is talking about full legalization now, um, Governor Wolf is stuck in wait and see. Now, we, we're, we're hoping that after uh, re-election time, maybe he'll come off wait and see to full legal. Um, but I also have a concern that if Governor Wolf doesn't really strongly come out for this issue during the campaign, he could get hurt during the election itself. Um, I think it's one of those defining things. Uh, the GOP candidates have come out against it. Phil Murphy won New Jersey with this issue. It brings people to the polls. And... Like New Jersey, I mean, uh, cannabis supporters voted for Murphy because they can't vote for legalization. So they can only vote for candidates that really strongly express it. Governor Wolf can run as a cannabis candidate. And the Democratic Party of Pennsylvania adopted legalization as part of the party platform. The National Party has done it as part of the party platform. Now, I don't want every politician to lock in step with their party, but I think that this is an easy one for Governor Wolf to come around on. But I think that's our biggest holdback. And we were talking about New Jersey before. Uh, a lot of people think that what's holding back legalization are these uh, sort of vehement opposition, you know, the prohibitionists who say all the crazy reefer madness stuff. But it's not. Um, what's really holding back legalization in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania are fence-setting Democrats, Andy. And it's, it's long past time to be on wait and see. It's time to take a position and work on this important social justice issue. So you mentioned the medical marijuana law, and I wanted to ask you about that because in your writing for philly.com and as an advocate, you've been pretty crit critical of this law, quite critical actually. And, and let's face it, this law is very different from the bill that you and I testified in favor of back in 2009, yeah. all those years ago. Um, what are What's the problem? Why, what, what's, what are the problems with medical uh, Pennsylvania's medical marijuana law? Well, we saw the bill get vastly rewritten in 2015. And, you know, what we testified for in 2009 was a bill that would have included patient home cultivation, uh, patients to be growing if we passed that bill. Um, but in 2015, a group of uh, medical cannabis industry lobbyists, along with Republicans, um, went in and rewrote that bill. And they changed it vastly. And along the way, they brought in um, a number of provisions that are, are really uh, well acknowledged uh, by journalists and industry advocates um, as failures, one of which is requiring doctors to register 
in order to recommend medical cannabis. This is just this is a horrible bottleneck for the program. Um, by the way, that was uh, invented in New Jersey by Chris Christie. It was a regulation. It wasn't part of the law. It was part of the way that he helped keep patients out of the program. When Chris Christie was sitting around thinking, man, how can I stamp down on this law? How can I totally keep the medical marijuana program stunted? The first thing he did was make doctors become part of a special registry. Now, Pennsylvania put that into the law, and that's going to hold this program back forever. Um, we've seen New York and New Jersey, which are the two states really that run this doctor registry scheme, we've seen their patient numbers plateau. Um, you know, 15, 20,000 in New Jersey, 35, 40,000 in New York. So the initial influx of patients here in Pennsylvania is strong because the program's just open. But that number is going to plateau fast. Um, and in New York and New Jersey, there haven't been enough patients to keep five alternative treatment centers open or 17 in New York. How are they going to keep 50 dispensaries open here in Pennsylvania? They can't even keep product on the shelf right now. I think it's a real mess, Andy, in Pennsylvania. We've seen what can happen when you take the free market competition aspect out of a medical cannabis program. When you are, they all, they've been telling us since 2015, they want the pharmaceutical model, Andy. They want, they want to pharmaceuticalize medical cannabis in Pennsylvania. Well, that's exactly what we've seen in prices. We've seen pharmaceutical style prices at $144 a gram. That's a 400% increase over the same product for sale in Colorado, California today. And that's a sin. It's unaffordable for patients here in Pennsylvania. So the question is, uh, you know, we've seen Governor Murphy come into office, immediately announce that we're going to vastly expand New Jersey's program. At the same time, Pennsylvania is pursuing one of the most restrictive programs in the country. You know, this is my, my problem here is that we, we act like we're in a bubble. We're in the marijuana bubble in Pennsylvania. No other state exists. We we have to keep. Well, that's normal. That's the way. Yes, they... <laughs> must press on. But at the same time, you know, they are they're not in a bubble. They can see outside. The bubble's transparent. They can at least see through it and uh, see that other states are doing things differently. Um, the question for Pennsylvania patients and the health department here is uh, the unique thing that we asked for in Pennsylvania and won was that the commissioner at the Department of Health and the medical marijuana program commissioner are supposed to be able to set a price cap for patients. So I'd like to see them exercise that authority because no other state like New Jersey and New York don't have any ability to affect the pricing, but Pennsylvania can. So we have friends who think that the passage of the medical marijuana law was a symbolic victory. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that or talk, you know, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Um, I've been reading this book, This is an Uprising. It's a book about nonviolent social movements uh, in the modern age, in the 21st century. And the authors talk about how there were historic movements, and they particularly point to Gandhi and the Indian independence movement and the civil rights movement in the United States, where they took actions that led to results that were uh, underwhelming. So when Gandhi marched to the sea and gathered salt, he negotiated with the viceroy and a lot of people, a lot of Indians felt that he didn't get much out of that negotiation. Um, there were people in the civil rights movement who felt the same thing out of the Birmingham campaign and that what Martin Luther King negotiated out of that wasn't really, didn't really move the ball forward very much. But ultimately those, those move, those moments, the salt March, the Birmingham campaign were pointed to later as having had a symbolic effect on the movement that Birmingham led to, the Civil Rights Act, 
that the Salt March um, helped Indians understand that they can resist British rule. Um, so in activism, we have to think about this. You know, sometimes we end up with results that are not what we ultimately want, but the fact that we're even moving the ball forward may be helpful. So do you think that could be the case here, that that the medical marijuana law is flawed, but at the very least, at least we are, we've made progress and we've helped people understand that you don't have to be so scared of marijuana? You know, I, I would say that in the past uh, that was true in places like Colorado and California is that the medical marijuana movement engaged voters. You know, in those states, they passed medical marijuana ballot referendums and even decrim before they passed full legalization. So it was a cascading effort as a grassroots effort. But there is something fundamentally different about legislative politics and fundamentally different about this type of reform. What we've seen is also the opposition has become savvy. Instead of opposing medical marijuana, we, we know that 90% of Pennsylvania voters supported it, so it would have been silly to be an outright opposition. Of course, that existed, but that's not what the major play was. The opposition now realizes that they have to create terribly restrictive medical marijuana laws that also create over-regulation of consumers and of medical patients. So the opposition, instead of opposing medical marijuana, now passes laws like Pennsylvania instead. And some industry, cannabis industry partners, are happy to maximize on that. Look, I, I hear you on the symbolic versus tangible victory. But in Philadelphia, here where we're sitting today, we've had a more tangible and symbolic victory with decriminalization. We have stopped arrests. That is a, a priceless, almost incalculable alleviation of fear and terror amongst our citizens and amongst cannabis consumers. Once that fear goes away, once that stress goes away of being arrested, the pot potential of being arrested for a couple of grams, all of a sudden your, your brain gets more creative. You're, you're more free. That's, that's where people start working towards legalization is in that atmosphere of freedom. So did the medical marijuana law in Pennsylvania that has only 370 doctors out of 53,000 participating, that has uh, a few thousand patients out of the four to 500,000 that we, you and I envisioned 10 years ago. Is that going to help move the population forward? Is that going to help move this forward? I don't think so. Um, in New Jersey, the medical marijuana program that's been running for seven years, and the people who run them, the same people who run them in, New Jer in Pennsylvania now, uh, they want an exclusive deal, Andy where those five facilities get a year or two of exclusive recreational production rights before anyone else can. So do these laws with limited permits help further the concept of legalization? When we're talking about how to bring money back into communities of color, how to diversify this industry, how to get more free market access here, I don't think that these limited programs, I don't think that these operators, and I don't think that the concept of an oil-only law gets us much further along. I think it's a box canyon. That's why I think it's more important to stop arresting consumers, to start talking about um, decriminalizing home cultivation, stop having cops bust people for 10 or 12 plants and throw the library at them in court. 
Um, we need to get there in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, I think, to get to legalization. I don't think the medical marijuana program helps very much. It's, it's, it's good marketing, though, for everyone. Well, and you just hit on the key point. It's a great way to close, which is why this issue is so important. I mean, it's great that the it's wonderful the state could generate revenue, um, but really, what the, what's important here is ending this um, the damage that's done by prohibition. That's what we're trying to get at. That it's the it's the number one um, drug that people are arrested for. Um, it damages lives. It pr- creates roadblocks to education and, and employment and housing. And that's really what why we're here is to end that damaging policy. Absolutely. And, you know, again, we need to start thinking out of the box if we want to achieve the bigger goals. Um, Social justice is going to get, I mean, what's the point of stopping arrest everybody, expunging all their records, and then creating a limited permit industry where all those people have no chance of getting a job? Um, And I don't like when people say, oh, we want to If we decriminalize marijuana, we'll leave the market in the hands of criminals. I'm here to tell you, Andy, that everybody who is selling marijuana in Philadelphia or growing marijuana in Philadelphia today, they're not all criminals, okay? And most of our local marijuana dealers deserve a pathway to legitimacy in a legalized future. We have to stop thinking that uh, legalization means everybody goes into a storefront to buy their butt. That's that's not how the world works in 2018. We need to think about delivery, home delivery of marijuana. How are our local marijuana dealers today become micro permit holders tomorrow? And they can still be our marijuana dealers after legalization so that everybody gets an uplift. But uh, again, we have to start thinking outside the box here. Um, the, the legalization plans that worked in Colorado aren't going to work in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. We have a different animal here. We're far more densely populated, and we have a real diverse population. Okay, talk about diversity in Colorado. It's kind of hard to achieve. Talk about diversity in Philadelphia in, the, in an industry, an industry that will really give back to communities of color, that will be led by people of color. We can do that here. So... I think we can think to that future. I think we can think to that future pretty quickly. But you're right. Until we fix the social justice side, until we get rid of the fear and the terror of consumers being arrested every day, we don't get there very quickly. Well, Chris, it's always a pleasure. You've forgotten more about marijuana than I'll ever know. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for being one of the first guests on the podcast, and we'll have you back sometime. Andy, thank you so much. You are truly freedom's friend. Thank you to Chris Goldstein for the discussion. You can find Chris's Philly 420 columns at philly.com. We will also post a link in the show notes. You can find Chris on Twitter at Freedom is Green. Are you a member of the ACLU of Pennsylvania? If you made it this far into this podcast, you should be. Learn how to become a member at aclupa.org slash join. That brings episode four to a close. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci, and our music is by bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm your host, Andy Hoover. Until next time, be free. Be free.